A gang of vigilantes that strikes fear in the hearts of its prey. And then we take a trip to the Navajo Nation, where we meet two police officers who 99% of the time solve domestic violence disputes, hand out traffic tickets, general police work. But 1% of their cases involve UFOs, ghosts, and the occasional Bigfoot. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. New Patreon. We got a new Patreon from one of the original supporters of the show. Ash Black. The guy who designed the Dead Rabbit logo that you guys are familiar with. The iconic Dead Rabbit logo. That was Ash Black. He's now supporting the show through Patreon, so thank you very much for doing that, Ash. You've already done so much for the show. And I'm kind of talking to him a bit now because, listen, this kid's smart. Like, this guy has come up with some really cool stuff. So I'm going, I want to talk to him when he's ready to start announcing stuff. I want, I'm going to plug a couple things that he's doing because this, this, and it's not because of the Patreon. It's, it, it's because I feel like I owe him just for the art. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's a smart kid. So I'm, I'm still talking with him, but he has some really cool projects that hopefully I'll be plugging soon. I think it's kind of right up your guys' alley. It's right up my alley. So, okay, let's go ahead and get started with our first story, though, because we're in the United States. We're in a court of law. Dun dun. And this dude, this shackled gang member, he's this buff dude. He's like six foot three, covered in gang tats, is being brought into court. Immigration court, to be specific. This is a court deciding whether or not he should be shipped back to his home country of El Salvador. He's walking in, he's handcuffed, and the judge is sitting there, old, gray-haired dude, big old mustache, Tom Selleck. It's Tom Selleck, he quit acting. Now, I guess there's a, a rumor in Hood River that Tom Selleck lives on an island, like down down river, like two miles away, and everyone goes, oh, that's Tom Selleck's island. That's the island I'm going to if zombies ever attack, but people go, oh, Tom Selleck. I don't know if anyone's ever seen Tom Selleck in town, ever. That's a weird Hood River urban legend that Tom Selleck owns an island nearby. Why Tom Selleck? Anyways, so now he's off the island and he's in this courtroom. To those of you who even know who Tom Selleck is, you're like, who is this guy? Just a talking mustache who owns an island? Tom Selleck, he was Magnum P.I. You don't know that. Wait, was he Magnum P.I.? Who was the guy in Hawaii? Who wasn't Magnum P.I.? Who was the guy in Hawaii? There was the Hawaiian show where he had on the Hawaiian shirt and he solved crimes. Maybe that's Magnum P.I. yet. I think I need to eat more bacon. So, but I'm not gonna, because I gotta record this episode. It's running late already. Magnum P.I. or a guy in a Hawaiian shirt. It was Magnum P.I. Tom Selleck is in court. That's what I'm trying to say. A judge. It's not really Tom Selleck, okay? This is a true story. So, there is a guy in a courtroom, a judge, sitting on a judge chair. And then this big dude comes in, covered in gang tats, handcuffed. Now... The judge is going to decide whether or not he gets shipped back to his country. I don't know. I've already explained all that stuff, but I'm explaining it again. And the first thing the judge asks is, what was that show with Tom Selleck in the Hawaiian shirt? And the guy's like, I have no idea. And he goes, okay, never mind, never mind that. So based on your horrible crimes you've committed in the United States and the fact that you are an illegal alien, we are shipping you back to... And the convict goes, no, no, sir, do not ship me back to El Salvador. Please, please, your honor. And the judge is a little perplexed because you have this hardcore gang member 
basically begging not to go back. And he's like, listen, I get that maybe the job opportunities aren't the best in El Salvador, or you're not going there to work, you're going there to serve a time in prison, but I know their prisons are pretty bad. And the convict is like, no, please, you can't do this. They're down there. They'll kill me. The judge is like, who is scaring this guy? Because the tats that he's wearing aren't just spiderwebs on the elbows. He's wearing straight up MS-13 tats. One of the most fearsome gangs in the Americas. And the dude is pleading for his life to not go back to El Salvador. But the judge goes, no, all your pleading won't do anything. I sentence you, I don't know if they, they may just sign a piece of paper, I don't know. But anyways, the judge goes, no, you're going back to El Salvador. The inmate goes back to his cell and starts making some connections in prison because before he gets deported, he wants one thing to happen. He wants all of his MS-13 gang tattoos covered up or removed with a knife. In El Salvador, there's a gang known as Sombra Negra, or the Black Shadow. It's a paramilitary vigilante group, and that's actually a bit of a misnomer. It should actually just be military vigilante group. These guys are all ex-military or ex-police. So they are taking their weapons, and it's funny because I think ex is in quotation marks. I think they probably have active military aid and active police aid, because The government of El Salvador started to crumble. The gangs started to rise up, and you had these people watching these gangs take... Because MS-13 is from El Salvador. They were watching these gangs take over their country. Local law enforcement wasn't doing anything. National law enforcement wasn't doing anything. So these people, these military officials and these police officers, formed the Black Shadow. And they began just executing MS-13 gang members wherever they could find them. And the government clamped down on stories of this group for a while. They were pretending that it wasn't happening. But you had people saying, hey, my brother was shot yesterday. And they're like, is your brother a gang member? And the the dude's covering up his gang tattoos. He's like wearing a big mink coat. He's like, no, we're upstanding citizens, your honor. But they're like, we must have just gotten killed by a rival gang. The story of the Black Shadow began to go from town to town. And you think, okay, gangs fight each other all the time. So the fact that there's another gang that happens to be like military trained, have access to military level weapons, that's nothing new in gangs, especially Mexico farther down. Like that's nothing new. It's what the Black Shadow does to the victims is what sends chills down the spines of MS-13. They'll snatch you off the street, break into your house, find you in your car with your girlfriend, and just do what they do. Which isn't just shoot you in the back of the head. That's how it ends. First off, they torture you. Good old torture. Again, that's nothing new for gangs. Gang on gang violence, they do this stuff. They torture you for a while. And then when they decide to finally end it, they cut off your hands. You're still alive, by the way. So now you're like, ah, no hands. You'll be a little more animated than that, I think. You're like, oh, great, no hands. Can't play video games anymore. What else are you going to do? I hate video games, Black Shadow. They cut off your tongue. So now you can't even trash talk them. That's pretty brutal. But we're just getting started. They cut off their genitals while you're alive. And the coup de gras, actually the coup de gras is the shot to the back of the head. But hands, tongues, genitals, keeping you alive the whole time. And then finally, they remove your anus. Which to me, honestly, is a feat of engineering. I don't know how you could like core out 
a living person's butthole. But they figured out a way to do it. And then they shoot in the back of the head. And it's some of these scenes where these people, they just find, like, they walk in, they find a handless, tongueless, genitalless body, and then there's, like, a long tube, and they're like, oh, we found the anus. It's just, like, rolling like a hot dog next to the body. Some of these crime scenes, the bodies have semen on them, or in them, or around them. And so the rumor is that these people are also sexually assaulted before being murdered. Sorry if you're listening to this episode while you're eating an Egg McMuffin. But this has gone beyond cartel violence brutality. When we have this level of violence, plus the military training, plus the fact that the government pretends that these guys don't really even exist, the Black Shadow is what strikes fear into the heart of people who strike fear into the heart of the general population. And the Black Shadow is only growing stronger. They started off, they actually started off in Guatemala. Sorry, I misspoke. They're in El Salvador now. And they're spreading throughout South America. So there are rumors that the Black Shadow operates in the United States. It's never been proven. But people are saying that, yes, there are cells of the Black Shadow in the United States. So if you ever think about joining MS-13, if, you've, if that's ever crossed your mind, and it's gone to the point where they actually have started going after other gangs. They hate gangs MS-13 was their first target, but they branched off to other gangs. They, they And it's funny because there's such a rumor that they're almost a cryptid among gangs. A rumor that you don't want to ever run into. A name you don't want to say. Because you'd be looking over your shoulder. The Black Shadow. It takes a lot to strike fear into depraved humans. But they do it. And they do it. And then just disappear back into the darkness. I find this story fascinating. I had an idea to do a vigilante week. And I I didn't have enough for a whole week. But I actually found a lot of really cool vigilante stories. That was one of them. So anyways. But let's get to an official Dead Rabbit Recommends for Halloween Spooktacular. I saw this movie a couple years ago and it stuck with me. Which is always a good sign for a movie. Especially like a low budget horror movie. You see The Matrix. It's going to stick with you forever. But when when you just happen to stumble across a low budget horror movie. Or sci-fi movie. And then. Years later, you're still thinking about it. It's been about four years since I saw it. It's really, really good. The movie's about this sculptor who's really, really down on his luck. Like, that is his art of passion, but he can never succeed at it. And he ends up moving into an apartment. It was like in L.A. or some city or something like that. He moves into this little apartment, and the landlord's like, oh, you know, like, some of these famous artists, they lived in this apartment before their careers took off. He's like, oh, you know, maybe it'll give me the inspiration that I need. So he's living in this apartment. And there's like a crack in the wall. And if I, I don't remember all the exact details. I don't want to give away spoilers either. But the crack starts to get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And then eventually it's just like this gooey, fleshy mass in the wall. Like you can actually see how it's like sticky and wet inside this crack in this wall. You like you touch it. It's like gooey. And then it starts talking to him. And it starts to say... Stick your fingers in me. This is a real movie, by the way. This is a real movie, by the way. Stick your fingers in me, and I will make your art come alive. He sticks his fingers into the hole, and you hear this voice going, "Mm, mm." The voice of the hole is, if you remember this, is the voice of Aeon Flux from the old Liquid Television MTV cartoon, which was a great show, but very, very, like, sexy, sultry voice. It's not like Marge Simpson. He's sticking his fingers in the hole, and then a little piece of goop comes out, like a little chunk of like flesh comes out of the hole. And she's like, put that in one of your art pieces. So he sticks it on the top 
And he's like walking down the street with it, and people are like, oh my god, that's so great. It's just like a piece of junk. Like, it's a horribly designed, like, he's into that abstract art type of stuff, and there's just this little piece of flesh on the top. People are stopping him on the street wanting to buy it for like $500,000. That's really all I want to tell you about it, because it's a really fascinating movie. The whole movie maybe has four actors in it, and it's basically like two locations. But... You you wonder, is this guy going crazy? Is there really a hole in the wall? Spoiler alert, there really is a hole in the wall. But I mean, like, what is going on with this whole thing? It's really, really interesting, artistic horror movie. But yeah, the movie's called Deep Down. It's called Deep Down. It's a really cool, if you're looking for a quiet, kind of creepy horror movie to start the month off, Deep Down. It came out in 2015, if you have a hard time finding it. Deep Down. Dead Rabbit recommends Deep Down. But we leave behind... The hole in the wall, we leave behind the goo. I take a little goo for myself, put it in my pocket, and you see it, and you're like, how did you get that goo? I didn't see you stick your fingers in that hole, and I go, you gotta watch the movie to find out how the other way I get this goo. It's not feeding people to it either. That would be lame. But anyways, something else. What's in between sticking your fingers in a hole in a wall, throwing a human body in there? You're looking at me. My hands are all sticky, and you're like, Jason, you did it. And I was like, just watch a movie, bro. Watch a movie. Deep down, 2015. Check it out. And I go to shake your hand. You're like, no way, dude. No way. I'm like, come on, man. Give me a hug, dude. I'm all hugging you. You're like, get off of me. We're stuck together now. But anyways, we unstick ourselves. That was a disgusting sound. But anyways, we're all unstuck. And I sit down in the dead rabbit doom buggy. Start to rev it up. I'm all, are you getting in? You look at me, and you go. Yeah, sure, I guess I have to. Or I could just skip till tomorrow's episode. I'm like, that's what I thought. Now, we're in the desert. We're in Arizona to be specific. And Arizona is part of a place called the Navajo Nation. It's like in northeast Arizona, southeast Utah, and northwestern New Mexico. I don't know if that's just one giant reservation. But anyways, we're going there. I don't need to have all the info. I have a map, and I have you. And you're all the information I'll ever need. And you're like, aww. I forgive you for not researching a integral fact in your story. I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. Ring, ring. So we're in the Navajo Nation. And we go and there we're going to meet two police officers. We're meeting Lieutenant John Dover and Sergeant Stanley Milford Jr. So Dover and Milford are law enforcement officers. I, I don't know if they're still doing this thing, but at the time they were law enforcement officers. There are Navajo Nation Rangers, which are actually federally trained officers. So they were going and they were like kicking down cardboard doors and shooting at cardboard targets and then enjoying a good cardboard beer after the training run. Glug, glug, glug. And then the federal government says, you are federally trained dudes. So they're like, yay. And they jump up in the air in a freeze frame. And they go back to the Navajo Nation to do this job. Be, be, be an officer of the law, right? It's interesting because this story was told in a bunch of different media outlets. Huffington Post and the Mysterious Universe website covered this as well. But it's always the same stories and the same quotes. So I'm really thinking, I think Huffington Post covered it first and then other people. It's multiple websites have talked about this story. But anyways, the news isn't there's two cops. The news is that these dudes say that 99% of the cases they cover are normal cases. They're just walking around, knocking cats out of trees and uh, helping old ladies up, and then, like, stopping drug trafficking and stuff like that. But 1% of their cases involve the paranormal. So, cue spooky music. This this was, this was article kind of flew around the internet for a little bit a couple of years ago when it came out. And I think part of it is, one, you think of, like, 
vast deserts of having more spooky stuff. Two, you you think of Native American lands and Native American people having more connection to spiritual stuff, so they may more likely see this type of stuff. But let's look at a couple of their experiences here. One, this dude says, I walked. one of these cops goes, there's this house, this has happened a couple times, it's not the first time it happened to me. I walked into a house that was supposedly haunted, and I was talking to the, the homeowner, and a bunch of coins fell on my head. And there's a couple questions I have. Well, he says that he looked up, there was no holes in the ceiling, and... I don't know if he didn't notice, like, there was a leprechaun celebrating behind him with a big old pot of gold. But I have a couple questions about this story. I don't really mean to nitpick it, Mr. Officer of the Law. But, one, where are the coins now? Two, you got any money I can borrow? And three, where are the coins? Like, I I mean, obviously, I can take a picture with a bunch of quarters in my hand and and caption it, these fell on my head, ghost did it. And there would be, uh, to be fair, there would be people who would believe in that. But I mean, the, 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 are they current? Were the coins from the current year, were they American coins? Or were they like ancient Navajo coins? Or were they from Torred or what? Like, where do these coins come from? And I guess that's the question. But I guess I should say, what are the coins? Because those are, if the coins were from the future, that would be absolutely bizarre. If they're from the past, then I think someone was just throwing coins at you. The other thing is, is that if you had a place where you knew, he said this wasn't the first time it happened. If you knew a place where coins fell on your head, why wouldn't you just bring a bucket with you every time you went? And just leave, you just leave the bucket there. And then coins, and then you show up each day, you got all your laundry money. You got $5 a day from coin. That would be worth the trip out to that house. Why would you report to the police, my house is haunted, money's falling out of nowhere on my head? Just don't tell anyone. Be a quarter heir. This next story I love. This woman's driving down the road late at night, and she sees a white, bright light following her. An orb, a glowing orb is actually what she said. Not a white, bright light, a glowing orb. And she's like, ah. She floors it. She's going as fast as she can. I made that deal tell up. I don't know if that's true. But anyways, she's trying to get away. She may have been going the speed limit the whole time. She's like, oh no, it's only 65. The orb, there's like menacing claws coming out of it. She's like, I have to drive the speed limit. But anyways, the orb doesn't get her. But as she pulls up to her house, the orb disappears. And she sees in her driveway a, quote, very large rabbit. She runs past the rabbit and runs inside, goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning with a splitting headache. And when the cops showed up, they she called in and she's like, oh, you won't believe what happened last night. So I was getting chased by this orb, very large rabbit, went to sleep, woke up with a headache. And the, if I was a cop and I got that phone call, I'd be like, first off, why didn't you call us last night? I want to see the rabbit. Secondly, so. And thirdly, do you have any money I can borrow? So the cops do go out to her house and they say, here's a quote from one of these articles that I read. Dover and Milford investigated the site and would find that the car was imbued with anomalous electromagnetic readings, particularly in the driver's seat. Let's take this part real quick, too, because I'm I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just being a skeptic the whole time, but the orb chasing her down the street, that's classic UFO thing, may or may not have happened. I'm more interested in two details. One, if you were driving on the road, and you got to your house, and there was a rabbit in your driveway, how big would it have to be before you use the words very large? Both of them, not just I found a large rabbit, but how big would the rabbit have to be before you use the words very large rabbit in your driveway? Because I'm picturing, they never specify how big this is. I'm picturing a rabbit the size of someone in an Easter bunny outfit. 
like a five foot, six foot tall rabbit. That's a very large rabbit to me. Which, uh, that, you would not be able to sleep. That's the second, it's the other detail. She runs in the house, there's a six foot tall rabbit out there, and she goes to sleep. She wakes up with a headache. So, I'm a little suspicious of that detail. I'm 100% suspicious of that, of another detail, that they came out and they took electromagnetic readings. Now, these cops go on to say, later in the articles, listen, we're not saying we believe in any of this stuff, but it's our job to investigate all cases. And they say some of these cases, if they went to a court of law, it would actually have enough evidence to convict someone. What? Can, you're going to arrest a UFO. It's all walking in. It's all, war, 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 war. It's all fighting the cops. Its arms are handcuffed behind his back. They're like, get down, get down. They're beating it with billy clubs. Super bizarre statement. They're saying, we don't necessarily believe in all this stuff, but we're there to get answers for people who are scared. And that's fine. I get that idea. But then they also, so they don't necessarily believe in this stuff, but they also have a thingamajig 5000. They have a device in their cop car that they can magically wave over a sedan, over a Nissan, and it goes, that's weird. When we bring it to the passenger side, we're getting anomalous electromagnetic readings. What? She had a hide-a-key underneath her driver's side seat. If they had the device in the first place and it's not made up at all, you know what? That would make a magnetic reading be bigger on the driver's side. So maybe I just am a little suspicious they have a proton pack in their backseat of their car, that they have any of this gear. And it's interesting because this story came out, I think, like in 2014, 2015, something like that. It may have been a little more recent, but it's been a couple years. And there's been no follow-up, which makes me think that either these guys, they may be telling the truth and they may just have wanted to do an article with the Huffington Post for whatever reason, or they wanted a television show or a book deal or something like that. So it's possible it was publicity for publicity's sake. And that's why there's been no follow-up because a book deal or a TV deal didn't go through. And no other officer wants to talk about this story in the Navajo Nation Rangers. I'm sure their office got a thousand phone calls the week following when these articles were published. And I'm sure their sergeant was like, you guys, you've caused over $10,000 in phone bills this week. You got to play by the book. And they're like, the only book we play by is the book we're going to write. And we're going to use all this publicity to get it published. And the sergeant's like, Dover, Milford. Or I think paranormal, I think probably a lot of law enforcement officers and EMTs and stuff like that encountered paranormal stuff. I'm sure if you did a survey across the board of law enforcement officers around the world, you would, I don't know about 1%, that might be a little high, but I say 0.5% of all calls that an officer goes on during the course of their career involves something completely unexplained. And I don't mean like a murder they can't solve. I mean, they go in a house, they kick down a door, they're looking for a drug suspect, they see someone run into the closet, they open the closet, there's no one there. I'm sure that that happens more so to an officer of the law or to an emergency medical technician or something like that than it does to a normal person. They're constantly in in situations where there's psychic violence. There's real violence, but there's also like just psychic disturbances. They're going to places where people have been murdered. They're going to places where people are dying. They're going into abandoned buildings looking for vandals. They're out in the middle of the woods looking for a child. They're out in the darkest parts of not only the city or the wilderness, but the darkest parts of the human psyche. I would be shocked 
to meet a 20-year-old officer of the law who has not had one bizarre thing happen to them during the course of their career. So that that just that idea lends a lot of credibility to the story. I think the fact that I just think it's an occupation that you would run across that stuff a lot. And I think it's an occupation that if you did, like pilots who see UFOs tend not to report it because they get made fun of and they're called Gray. Hey, Gray, my name's Gray. Yeah, whatever, Gray. Heard you saw a UFO the other day. Like, there are certain jobs where you want everyone to have the, you want everyone to conform to an ideal. Because when someone messes up at that job, you die. So you don't want to get in an airplane with someone who's seen a UFO because you think, oh, that guy's nuts because UFOs don't exist. You're a cop. You don't want to work with a guy who believes he saw Bigfoot one day or one day a UFO came down or a ghost scared him during a drug raid. Like, you don't want to work with those people. So they tend to be very conformist and they tend not to be a nail poking out of the floorboard or or the funny penny falling from the ceiling. They tend to, it's an occupation that tends to be very conformist. But if you talk to him, if you bought an officer a couple beers and you sat back, had a conversation with him, I'm sure you could squeeze a story out of him. Here's an interesting story. This was in the Mysterious Universe article regarding this story. It has nothing to do with Dover and Milford. So we're leaving those. See you guys later. And as we're leaving, we hear the sergeant going, if you guys go one more time talking about ghosts, I'm going to have your badge. And we hear Dover's badge at the table and he goes, have it. I don't need it to bust ghosts. He's like, Milford? I mean, Dover? So we just left a buddy cop movie. But we're going back to the late 90s. And this is, according again to Mysterious Universe, this was an anonymous report the author got. There was a police officer and his partner in Arizona driving around. And they get a report. Car 99. Car 99. We have a report of a, of a weird howling man in, in your vicinity. And the... Officer's like, yep, yep, a good old 1088. I don't know why all my sirens sound like the Ectomobile. Cop car goes off and finds this weird howling man. He's out in the middle of nowhere. It's it's nighttime. It's actual nighttime. And what they see is a tall, pale, skinny man walking around, howling like a wolf. The cop and his partner are like, this guy has to be high on something, which is not a good thing. Like, this guy's either crazy or he's high, but... We can't let him get into town when he's a good ways out of town, but we also just can't let him walk around in the middle of the desert. He'll die. He might hurt himself as well. So anyways, they hop out of the car. He looks like he's on drugs. And as the officers start approaching them, he completely freezes. Cold desert night air begins whipping around the officers and the, looking at this tall, pale man, he just freezes. The howling is stopped. He just freezes in his tracks and then sprints, just bam, goes off into the night, running as fast as he can. The officer said he went from standing perfectly still to a runner sprint like that. Like it was, he goes, there was, it was just from nothing to pure movement in the heartbeat. You've never seen anything like it. The cops run back to their car. They realize this guy's running so fast. They can't catch him. And again, if they catch him, they don't know what to do because he's just crazy. They're, they don't want to wrestle him. They don't want to hit him with the car either. But they also don't want to go chasing after him into the dark Arizona night and then have him turn around at any point in their boxing. So they hop in the car and they start following him. Now he's running. He's running. Car's getting closer. He's still running. Guy's running. And at one point the cop looks down. It's just pedal to the metal, just flying. He looks down. His speedometer reads 50 miles per hour. The dude's still running. And they're... 
barely catching up to the dude. And then all of a sudden, the guy drops to all fours and begins to like just gallop across the desert and disappears into the Arizona night. Now, it's possible that story is also made up. But if you experienced that as a law enforcement officer, if me and you experienced that, if we were driving on the street and that same thing happened to us, we would tell a lot of people. We'd start off telling people that we trusted, but we wouldn't keep it a secret. I don't think. I think we would probably brag about it, at least online and stuff like that. Because our jobs wouldn't depend on it. We're just walking down the street and we see some crazy stuff and we're like, oh, I can't wait to tell my friends about this. I saw a guy run 50 miles an hour and then just gallop off into the distance. But again, if you're a law enforcement officer, if people need to know that you are sane, otherwise they won't trust you to do the job. If you saw something like that, you would only report it anonymously and never talk about it again and hope no one ever asked you. It's funny because there are people who would kill to see a ghost. There are people who really, really want to have a paranormal encounter. They really want to know what it's like to see a UFO or to stumble across Bigfoot. There are people who have made careers out of trying to find Bigfoot or finding any sort of paranormal activity. There are people who go out of their way to find these things or find out if they're true. I think it's interesting because some people spend their lives hoping to see a ghost. But there are most likely millions of law enforcement officers out there, firefighters, emergency personnel, who have seen them. And their only hope is that no one ever finds out. So they sit on that story and just pretend it never happened. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. 